Princess. Prince William. Colors. I saw the equity scorecard and I was like, uh-huh. I finally have data to back what I know to be true. So we all have to do a better job of getting this pipeline better. Um, and if that means teachers need to do a better job encouraging people to enter these fields, and counselors need to do a better job, and we need to do a better job as education leaders to make sure there's more of us in these positions, especially if there are barriers, we need to reduce those barriers. Some members feel safe because of the, um, you know, the leadership at their school. Some staff do not feel safe at all to speak out and they feel like there will be some, um, you know, something that happens to them or, you know, somebody's watching them or something. So today's episode, um, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous um, because to be honest, being a teacher, and talking about your employer. It's probably not the smartest thing to do, but you know what, like, it's about time. So if you look at our Instagram page, which hopefully you already follow, um, you'll see that we've posted a graphic, or on Twitter, or on Facebook, wherever you're watching us. Um, we posted a graphic about advanced diploma rates and how they go from the west side of the county to the east side of the county. That was pretty wild. We came across that when we were doing our research. Yeah, it seemed like all of the minority, majority high schools were just going down in advanced diplomas. Uh, and that term, minority, majority, right? Like, it erases all of us, black people, brown people. The only time you're ever worth anything is if you're lumped together to compare you to non-minority. Um, what did you guys think about the numbers as people that just graduated from schools slash still in schools or in school? I felt like it was really accurate. <laughs> really? What, how did you, Hilton's numbers felt accurate to you? What was, where was Hilton on that graph? Pretty low. I think it was lower than like Forest Park and Colgan combined. Yeah. 40%. You know, the school that I work at and that Iker graduated from is the easternmost school. Now, and it had what, 16.9% advanced diploma rate? That's less than half or approximately half of the second closest school. So even though our graph is technically going from the west side of the county to the east side of the county, it tells us a lot more than just west to east though, right? Because what do our schools look like as we go from the west to the east? The diversity changes a lot. Right. And in fact, by diversity, that's our code word, or everyone uses that as a code word for <laughs> black, and, black brown. and brown, right? Right. Um, that's just crazy. So what did you think about freedom... We're, we asked Chloe about Hilton. What did you think about Freedom's numbers? I'm not surprised. The advanced diploma rate is 16.9%, and, and that shows the expectations these schools have for the black and brown students. Do you think the schools even realize what they're doing? Like, do you think schools sit down and compare themselves to other schools and be like, wow, this is the image that we're projecting, or that they're so lost in this idea of site-based management that we'll hear more about later, that they're only looking at themselves and not looking at what that says about the county as a whole, or like, patterns, right? Do you think they do? I don't think they do. I think they're just focusing on trying to get by and doing pretty much the bare minimum when it comes to advanced diplomas and they don't see the effects of that on their kids and their students throughout their school and they just think it's okay. And if if they did look at those numbers, we would have heard conversations about increasing 
access and opportunities to forever black and brown students, but we don't hear it, so nobody's looking into this. Well, don't say nobody, because um, <laughs> coming up this episode, we are going to be talking about not just the difference in the advanced diploma rates, but we're going to be talking about something that we love, demographics, and whether the communities represent what their schools look like, what their politicians look like. So this episode, we're going to be talking about educational segregation. Might sound dramatic, but once you look at the numbers... It's real. It is. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to this episode of Prince William Colors. I'm J.B. Uckberg. And I'm Ikra Noor. And I'm Chloe Presley. And <laughs> we are Captain Planet. Did you guys ever watch that cartoon, Captain Planet? No, no is, that, is that showing the fact that I... I'm 17. Okay, well, you know what? I just turned 31. But uh, nevertheless, we still care about the same issues, right? That's a way to bring it back. No? Okay, keep going. Uh, okay, so... Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We've been getting feedback from a lot of you guys. We're incorporating that feedback. We know we made some mistakes uh, as far as recording goes and sound goes, but we're really happy that everyone liked the content and we really love for that conversation to keep going. So please, please keep showing us your support. Um, rate us on iTunes. Um, give us the five stars. If you <laughs> don't think that we did a five stars, stars worth job, um, shoot us an email instead. <laughs> don't. <laughs> No need to like put it out there for the world, you know. But uh, no, we really, really do appreciate it. But I think the most important thing is also spread the word, right? We're not going to get an award from Apple Podcast. Oh my God, she's laughing again. That's Ikra. In case you ever hear laughter in the background, that'll always be her. Um, but we're not going to get any awards from Apple Podcasts or any of these platforms. Our reward is in having a community that really reflects us and our values and getting these conversations out there, right? So share this, please. There is no point in us just having the same conversations we've been having year after year after year in closed rooms, behind closed doors, and not getting that information out there. Yes, please talk, but do vote. And early voting is ongoing. We want to hear your voice, but we also want to see your vote. Ooh, that was a nice line. All right, we're starting off by talking about student and teacher demographics. Let's start at what does our kid experience once they walk into the school building? Chloe, you're a student. What do you experience when you walk into Hilton? What do you get? Well, at Hilton, there's a lot of diversity. I think it's because we're the center of, you know, international relations and things like that. So when I walk into school, I see a whole bunch of ethnicities, races, and just frankly, different people. And I wish that that experience was, I guess, not unique to Hilton alone. Yeah. Um, numbers wise, if we look at Colgan, which is, again, similar, close to you, right? Right. Colgan, we call it, you know, everyone under their breath, especially if you're from the eastern side of the county, knows it as the white, white school. school. <laughs> right, so we call it the white school, or I don't, because I know the numbers, and it's not. It's not a white school. It looks the closest that it should to this county, right, um, in a lot of ways, as far as the percentages go. Maybe some percentages are a little bit low, some are overrepresented, but it sure as heaven looks a lot more, I sound like my grandmother, just kidding, my grandmother doesn't speak English. Uh, sure as heck, sounds a whole lot more diverse than freedom. Yeah, I, I think we're talking about diversity wrong. We call freedom diverse when it's 
just black and brown. In freedom, we used to joke about not having white people. It's you thought that you thought that having yeah. white people didn't mean diversity, just because you know you had a sprinkling of like Asians, mm -hmm. and you had no, black and brown. Black and brown. Because that's that's a narrative that's put into our minds. It's not diverse, right? It's yeah. like code word. Those people are too comfortable, uncomfortable to talk about race, to talk about language, to talk about these things. Taking it back a little bit, right now, last night. Okay, so we're recording this on the 9th of October or like here and there, right? Last night, the school board decided, or the school board didn't decide, they'd already decided back in July that they were going to let the superintendent make the recommendations about how we return to school, right? Return to learning is what they call it, but... We've been learning, so um, return to school. So I walk into that building, the KLC, and I felt a special kind of something, which I often feel when I'm walking into a place where nobody looks like me, or you like, you know, you look around, you're like, okay, yes. like, but here they were, a room full of parents there to speak, or some students too, in favor of returning to school. And I kept hearing them talk about like, our immigrant populations and our ELL population and our like, you know, students that are from like less fortunate backgrounds and stuff like that. All of that was literally just code word for like our black and brown kids. Except if you really cared about us that much or if you cared about like, you know, the community, why not engage them in the process to like talk about it, right? And I think that just continues on. Like people are pretending like they're comfortable with like Prince William County turning browner and blacker, but our education system, like we've heard nationally spoken about this so many times, is still built not for us. And we keep trying to contort it in different ways so that it looks like it's working for us. It's but rigid. yeah, it's not. And as we look at the data from the last, you know, so many years, we've had the same superintendent for 15 years, right? And uh, shout out to Steve Waltz for doing a good job last night. Woo -woo. Yeah, at, at least, you know, he held his ground. And as a teacher, I felt like I was hurt. But um, we've seen some horrible numbers come out of this county, not just in what the schools look like, but in um, kind of like how our black kids and white kids compare or Hispanic kids compare when it comes to gifted education, to punishment, to graduation rate, dropout rates, absolutely attendance rate. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into all of that, but it all starts with. The equity scorecard. Which uh, the board, I believe, requested in March of, or no, they requested last year at some point, but it was presented for the first, the first equity scorecard was presented in March. And we asked the chairs, and the, the chair and the vice chair of the school board, Barbara Latif, Dr. Barbara Latif, and Lori Williams, what they had to say about it. So this is what they said. Um, we have a lot of work to do in um, just broadly uh, graduating um, students in our Latinx population, keeping them from dropping out. That's our biggest weakness when it comes to graduation rates. Um, that's a huge issue. Secondly, um, performance on SOLs um, for Latinx students and African-Americans um, continues to lag. Um, there, we, we do better than the state average in many areas, but not, not where we need to be here for us. So all of those areas need to be continued improvement. When it comes for diversity of faculty and, and teachers, that all has to be improved, including administrators. So that is something that the board is well aware of. Sure, they're, they're well aware of it, right? But what are you doing about it? I don't hear the urgency in his voice. 
Um, that's how, like, literally felt like the teacher told you to memorize a list and you came back and you're like, yes, exactly. So this is what we need to fix. Um, the Latinx population's graduation rate, by the way, notice I said Latinx, so I'm really woke. Um, SOL <laughs> performance, black students and Latinx population. Again, we're, we're better than the state average, but you know, we're on the local level. Diversity of faculty and staff, like literally he ratted off all of these things. I'm like, wow, you really studied the data and did nothing about it. Exactly, it just felt like he was explaining it to us and we're like, we already read it, we already know what's on the clock. Yeah, like, thank you, that we, we're the ones who asked you about it, right? Like, what do we want out of it? Like, what were your key takeaways? It should have been shock, it should have been hurt. So, we then listened to Lori Williams talk about this and let's see what she had to say. I saw the equity scorecard and I was like, uh-huh. I finally have data to back what I know to be true. Um, so it's nice to finally have hard numbers um, in one solid format that said, you know, our, our African-American students are getting suspended or expelled at higher rates than they are of, of a general population of our county. Same with our Hispanic students. So um, I think for myself, and um, I know for a fact for a few other members of the board, that's a priority of ours, is to see what we can do to close those gaps, to um, inform um, our staff and our community about our biases and how they make a difference on how we interact with each other so we can change those. I felt like she was way more candid with us. You can definitely tell that she's speaking from a position of a person of color, right? Uh, when she says, like, I looked at what I knew to be true. Right, like we felt this when we went to the school. She went to Woodridge High School. Um, I just, I like that she went to talk about biases and I might be speaking with a bias. I um, work every so often with Lori on different things about like Freedom High School or around our community. But there's a reason why I engage with her and talk about these kinds of things because I think she does get it to a certain extent. Is it still the answer that we're looking for? Is it the sense of urgency that we're looking for? I really don't know because I, when we looked at this data, I, like it f made me my mind flip. Four times as likely for a black kid to get suspended or expelled in a Prince William County high school than a white kid. I think it's three times as likely for a Latino kid to get suspended or expelled from a Prince William County high school than a white kid. So I was like, oh my God, I would want to stop this now. I'm looking thinking about my students and I'm like, oh my God, this is how the odds are stacked up against you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not I just here. Do. I feel like the passion is lacking within our leadership, at least on the school board, from what we're seeing. And as a student, that does worry me. I mean, personally, I'm always the type of go-getter and I'll make things happen for myself, but what about that kid that's never had that push or never had the opportunity to be something bigger than what society expects them to be? And I feel like our school board could shift that perspective or just like that place that they have in order to make kids in our county feel more welcome or at least more supported in our system. Especially when, like you said, the odds are stacked up against them. Um, so speaking of kids, you want to talk to us through the data on staff and student diversity, because at the end of the day, those kids aren't getting suspended and expelled by themselves, right? Yes, the data is shocking. What's even more shocking is that there are teachers, myself included, that go in with a bias when you look at a black kid who does something wrong versus a white kid. That's what this data is telling me, right? Or you, you believe one of three things. 
you believe that either genetically there's something different about black and Hispanic kids that causes them to become expelled more, or you believe that there are some cultural factors that just cause them to be, you know, more disruptive and then get expelled and um, suspended more, or you are a sane human being and believe that our system has biases in the way that we look at black and Hispanic communities, and that's reflected in how we punish them in schools. So as a teacher, I'd love to know, what is the statistic when it comes to staff and student diversity in Prince Edward County? There are 71% of students in our county are minorities, and only 29% are just uh, solely white, or that's at least what they identify it as. But for staff, it's literally flipped upside down and reversed. Staff have 36% minority and 64% white or identify as such. Honestly, I don't think it's surprising at all. When I walk into school, I mainly see white teachers. Most of the time, even now in my classes, I do not have a minority teacher. All of my teachers are white. And I do, those numbers that you just presented, they could be inflated by the uh, teacher demographics, another teacher, the staff demographics that are that don't teach the general population. Yeah, it could be like we just don't know. Like, what does staff mean? Because working in business and coming up with some of these graphs before I became a teacher, um, you make the data. If you're trying to present it to the board or you're trying to present it to like a prospective buyer or whatever, you will make the data sing your tune, right? And so, I mean, there's only so much that they can make this. I, I don't know, like. Pig sing? No, that's putting a makeup on. Man, I can't ever think about like American like idioms or something. Like I always mess them up. But um, there's only so much that you can make this data sing because it's ugly. It's scary to think that this could be the inflated version of these statistics. So here's Barbara Latif's response to when we asked about, you know, well, when when he would say some of this data, his response would be, "Well, this is a national problem that we're facing." That's not an excuse to not work at our local level and fix our own education system. Yeah, like I can't go into Mississippi and be like, hello, <laughs> nice to meet you, I'm here to change. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm not talking about Mississippi here. I'm talking about something where you have power. You are literally the most powerful elected official when it comes to education in this county. And you're running for lieutenant governor now as well. You know, like clearly you have the political capital, you have the know-how, you're somebody who's been in this community for a long time. And it's not just him. I mean, it, to be fair, right. like he, he, he spoke to us, which is amazing. Lori spoke to us, which is amazing. We didn't reach out to the other board members because we wanted to talk some about the Eastern data. And that's why we picked Lori and Bobber Latif, because, you know, he's in charge of the entire board or, or chair of the entire board. But yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's like, I don't stop telling you that this is a national problem. Like, it's a local problem. And that's all that matters to me. How do we fix it locally? So... I have to say, like, I work at Freedom High School, and I think our staff is, like, from the outside, if you look at it, it's pretty diverse, right? Like, you you see a lot more, like, kids will easily see, like, they'll have an art teacher that's a black male. You have, um... Must be nice. Yeah. No, it is. He's a great teacher, too. Um, but we have, um, you know, like, English teachers that are black women. We have uh, math teachers that are Hispanic but I don't know if we're like looking into that data to make sure that like in specific areas we have people that are representative, right? So like if a kid wants, and it's not, you're not going to get it all the time. I'm not saying like find a teacher that's like, um, you know, I don't know, 
Samoan and a math teacher because that's what a child who is Samoan wants to be a math teacher and they need to see that. But they need to see people that look different from just the one stereotype. And I think we do well on freedom. Like, so we talk a lot about like freedoms, diversity and whatnot and, um, or like, you know, issues and whatnot. But I think freedom is doing pretty well when it comes to that. Now, are there things that I would still like, like our Hispanic population, we only have three Salvadorian teachers and a majority of our students are Salvadorian or Central American, right? And so there are things we need to look at because you can't just say like Latino is a one size fits all label. And you just say like, oh, well we hired Latino teachers. Well, a Puerto Rican's experience is gonna be pretty different from a, right, like from, you know, like, and there's some ways that I can relate to my kids that are uh, immigrants a lot more than, um, you know, like somebody who grew up with an American passport. I absolutely agree with you. Relating to students is so important, not only at the teacher level, but also at the admin level. We see that our teacher diversity is not where it's supposed to be, but our admin diversity is even worse. If we look at our high school data, four out of 94 administrators we have are of Hispanic origin. 38% of the student population belongs to a Hispanic background or of Hispanic. They're of Hispanic background. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild. Yeah, and it, it's just crazy to me that the people making the rules for the students don't look like them. And the, how, how are they going to ever understand when a student comes to the office or when they call them to the office to, for, like, let's say, referral purposes? They're never going to understand what where they're coming from. And I, maybe that's why we see that high of expulsion and suspension rate in our black and Hispanic student population. And we also have to remember that just... It's a system that is built, right? And there are people that are oppressed by that. So I read this book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, right? And in that book, it talks about like an oppressive system always elicits help from within the oppressed class to help maintain that oppressive system. And that happens as well. Um, So yes, we need to see more diversity in the admin staff, but I take it even one level higher than that. Who makes up the system, right? And if the people making up the system are not aware of the experiences that those people that are in the system go through, right, which is the students, then that system is going to be innately biased against them. And I'm talking about the KLC staff here. So the KLC staff, superintendent, deputy superintendent, and there are about like 12 or 13 associate superintendents or maybe 11 of them or somewhere around there. The point being, that at the current moment, from what we could tell, only one of them was a person of color. One, and I'm not saying historically, maybe they had two or maybe they had three. Um, That would still be a really, really small percentage compared to what your population looks like. And so if you're the ones coming up with like, kind of like the mission statements, and that's not it. It's also the content areas. Those people are also mostly non, you know, non, Non-white, non-non-white. You know what? I actually forgive some people that trip up over racial things because it's like we have so many. They're also not black and not brown, essentially. Yeah. Or the easiest way to say it is they're white. As a student, when I walk into the Kelly Leadership Building, all I see is, I guess, a bunch of white people to be perfectly, you know, blunt about it. But... It's just kind of weird to see that as a student and know that you're not represented in in that high level of the county only because if I'm not represented, 
how am I ever going to succeed or how do I expect to succeed in a county that's not built by people that look like me or even just somebody who's at the top vouching for someone like me or has the same experiences as me as a black student? Wow. Yeah. And I guess after the break, we'll talk about where do we go from here? This is what our education system looks like locally. Where do we go from here? Who holds the power? Okay, who changes this system? Stay tuned. Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Your high school counselor doesn't look like you. You're not likely to maybe maybe listen to them as much, but 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 it obviously is important if they do look like you, but or at least sympathize, empathize, and understand what your issues are. And it's really hard for someone to do that. And people who are elected, you are employed and live in that county, you are their boss. We are not any more special or different than anyone else. And matter of fact, we have a lot of responsibility towards people who put us in office. And that's not to be taken for granted. Before the intermission, we were talking about the equity scorecard, school demographics, and how that plays a role in the disparities within our county. And the numbers we talked about are very alarming. Only one-fourth of our teachers are non-white, while 70% of our students aren't white. The gap in admin diversity is even worse, and the KLC demographics are the worst. Worstest. <laughs> that kind of leads into something I was looking at with the school demographics. At many schools that are majority white, they have less than a 25% minority population. But that kind of makes sense because it's reflective of their surrounding population. But at schools like Freedom, Potomac, and Garfield, we cannot say the same. They have a, a minority population of 90 plus, and there's less than 10% of the students that go there that are white. And that's not reflective of the community that surrounds those schools that white population around them is obviously higher than what's represented in those uh, schools. Yeah, we looked at the census data to actually check it. And for Freedom, for example, we found that from the 22193, 22192 zip codes that pull into Freedom, 25%, 35% of those areas are registered as white. Now, we can even give or take 10% off of that. Still, that shouldn't mean only 4.5% of the kids at Freedom are white. There's something that's not adding up and who's looking into that. Um, but beyond that as well, it's these numbers are important, not because it just impacts student experience, but also because we're seeing that it impacts student performance as well. So when you're looking at black and Hispanic um, percentages, earning qualifying scores in AP exams or advanced exams, those are lower. When you look at dropout rates for the Hispanic population, it's insane. It's 13%. You know, uh, or if you're looking at suspension rates for black and Hispanic kids, we talked about this earlier, they're so much higher than the non-Hispanic or non-black populations. And so, and we're seeing this a lot more when, when they're congregated in these schools together, we're essentially ghettoizing these schools, these areas, by making them have a disproportionate representation of non-white populations. Right. And then not giving them whatever services they need, not being equitable. So right. it's resulting in these kinds of things. That educational segregation. Exactly. Right. It, that, that's exactly what it is. But also we looked into the data of how are these populations doing at some of these schools that are more diverse? So Colgan is more diverse. The ELL population is performing better than at some of these schools that have a larger ELL population. Even though Colgan doesn't have a huge ELL population, it's doing better than at other schools. 
you look at how black students are performing at some of these other schools that have more diversity, they're doing better. If you look at the Hispanic students, they're doing better in all of these metrics or most of these metrics. So it begs to say that diversity works, you know, for, for these things. And we need to be looking into that. We need to be having this conversation beyond just making an equity scorecard and saying, yes, we identified these problems and they exist. These numbers are really alarming, whether we look at the Virginia Department of Education report or Prince William County's school profiles. We looked at both of them, and there are some discrepancies between the data that Virginia Department of Education is reporting and what Prince William County is reporting, for example, in our graduation rates and school demographics. That makes me question whether or not the county is reliable in what they're reporting. Are we reporting the right thing for our schools and our teachers? And for what our parents are seeing, right? Um, if you were looking at the school data profiles, some of these things, like it said like Freedom had an advanced diploma rate, which was like close to 50% or higher than 50%, mm. um, which is really, really far off from 16%. So the county needs to do a good job of making sure that the data that they're presenting on the school's individual websites or on the county website is actually truly reflective and so parents can make an accurate decision about moving into an area or holding their individual school accountable for their performance. And if the county is presenting the data wrong, it just makes me question, are we, it just makes me question the mission statement of our county. Are we trying to celebrate our county or are we really passionate about fixing the flaws that exist in this county? Right, exactly. Like the whole idea of education is to celebrate learning and relearning and readjusting and all those things. So you can't say, oh, we're doing everything so fantastically well while having all of these discrepancies. Like, we're not giving a world-class education to every student currently. So when you say, like, maybe we adjust our, like you said, the mission statement and say, like, you know, aiming for a world-class education. But right now, we're just seeing a classist education for a lot of these groups. I think it's kind of ironic that you said that we're supposed to be about improving our learning or being open to relearning or anything of that nature. But the county seems to ignore the problems that we already heard we already have in this area and they don't want to learn or adapt to make our county better, at least from what I'm seeing. Right. It all goes back to like a system that was built in a way that's not to the benefit of black and brown communities. Now that we are a majority black and brown community, how do we adjust that system to serve all of its residents better? We keep saying the county, but who is the person responsible, like the specific individual or person that we can point a finger at for all these issues? So Barbara Latif, Lauren Williams, and Maggie Hansworth said the superintendent. At the end of the day, that's who the responsibility would fall on, right? He's the hired individual who's in charge of our entire county. Um, So we reached out to the district, naturally, (laughs) to get their comments. (laughs) Yeah, they're laughing because we didn't hear anything back. Well, we did hear something back. They told us, um, first of all, that we had to go through one person, which makes sense, right? As an organization, you have one person that's going to respond to media inquiries. Makes sense. So we couldn't speak to principals. We couldn't speak to associate superintendents. We couldn't speak to the superintendent. They said that we would need to go through this one office. We waited to hear back from them. We followed up with them. They said they're working on our request. If we could send over the list of questions so they could find the appropriate person to respond to our questions. So we asked them. We asked about why there were discrepancies, what is being done. Um, as far as making sure that our black kids for even one more year aren't suspended at a higher rate. What are we doing to look into the numbers of how many kids that are supposed to go to their base school but don't and transfer out? What do their demographics look like, 
right? We asked about all of these things and, and we asked about why their data said something and VDOE's data said something a little bit different at times. And we followed up again, asked them once more and still nothing. So I know that we are going through a pandemic. All of us are adjusting and doing things and naturally they have a lot of things going on. But the KLC has a lot of staff and not every single person is working on the pandemic right now. And it also begs the question, this isn't something new. The superintendent has been in his office for 15 years. A lot of those people are career educators who have been in the KLC for a long time. If I can look at this as somebody who just became a teacher five years ago, or we have somebody that's in high school who's looking into this data, or we have somebody that just graduated and uh, from high school and is in college looking at this data, I'm pretty sure people whose job it is should be doing the exact same thing. And they should be able to answer our questions much quicker than what they're doing. Right. And they have failed us. <laughs> no, right. Uh, as far as getting the answers, they have. But um, we do have people that we talk to. And so naturally, if the district isn't answering, who's going to hold them accountable? That's our next question. Who's going to hold people accountable? And so the first thing that comes to my mind is my teaching or educator siblings, right? Looking at the fact that how, what power do we have as teachers? Now, I have to be honest and fair here. I'm going out on a limb doing this, you know, like we're talking about these things. I don't know how much I'm allowed to speak out and how much I'm not. And that's something that we talked to Maggie Hansford about as well. Why, what do teachers need to be able to feel comfortable speaking out? It really comes down to site-based management, right? So what I hear from members is some members feel safe because of the, um, you know, the leadership at their school. Some members don't feel safe speaking out and they feel like there will be some, um, you know, something that happens to them or, you know, put, they'll be put in, you know, some sort of, you know, situation, you know, somebody's watching them or something. So some staff do not feel safe at all to speak out. Um, you know, without the collective bargaining piece, it's really about relationship building. But what we can say is that um, PWA hasn't taken an, a formal statement about site-based management, but what members say in a large group collectively is that um, site-based management does lead to inequities in our school system. And we see it as staff as well as our students is right now we really don't have that seat at the table to really be in the position to make those decisions. We could have conversations with the decision makers, but until we have collective bargaining, we're not gonna be at that table really making those decisions. So she repeatedly mentioned that question, that point of collective bargaining, right? And that's something that we're a little bit behind on in Virginia. So Virginia's law used to be that you don't have the right, like as a public employee, to strike or to demand collectively for your rights or for better working conditions or pay or any of those things. That thankfully is slowly shifting. Now, starting in May of next year, I believe of 2021, individual districts will have the opportunity to grant those powers to their unions, right? And so that's, I think, what Maggie said that we're waiting for. So that beyond just building relationships and, you know, issuing statements, we'll actually have real power. But right now, that still leaves us with a whole year almost of not having that. So who else is responsible? Well, the board is an elected body of officials. And although they've started working on some of the problems, they haven't been really effective with I guess, solving any of them. Well, we should look into what Lori said about what things they are currently doing right now. So let's have a listen. 
so um, unfortunately the board is not directly involved in the hiring process when it comes to really anybody in the school division. We can make our priorities and our decisions known, but it's up to the superintendent to actually hire his um, staff, especially at the associate superintendent level um, and right underneath him. So I know one of the things that we've done in our HR department is we've started to recruit from schools earlier. Um, so Prince William County Schools was one of the school systems that kind of came at the tail end of the recruiting process. We were getting um, outpaced by some of our surrounding counties because they were beating us to the punch, right? Um, so we changed our recruitment dates. So we tend to do earlier. We now recruit directly from HBCUs. Um, and we also partner with, um, not sure the name of it. We've been doing it for several years, but we're trying to get more, more teachers and it's international teachers, um, specifically teachers of color. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, Things like helping schools supplement the budgets when it comes to booster clubs, because a lot of our Western end schools have, um, you know, booster clubs sometimes that range in the thousands of dollars that they're able to fundraise, where we don't have the same fundraising capabilities on the Eastern end sometimes. Um, so trying to supplement budgets to make up for that, um, doing things like investing more in professional development and, um, when I say that for me, one of the things that I've spent a significant amount of time on is gifted student programming because we are known to have a problem with identifying minorities in gifted programming, especially um, gifted times two minorities. And then um, we are doing things behind the scenes with working on professional development with implicit bias training. Um, the state of Virginia is now working to make it mandatory that all schools have an anti-racism policy. Um, so trying to get people to understand how their biases affect whether or not you put students in um, a math track so that later on they can achieve that advanced diploma. So here's something that we can all impact, right? We are at a historic moment for Prince William County. Dr. Steve Waltz has served us for 15 years. And you know he, he's gone through a lot of different challenges and changes with his community. And for the large part, he's been very successful. So we're not pointing the finger here at one person or one individual, because at the end of this whole thing, we realize that it's a collective responsibility. And we've been ignoring this for way too long. For 15 years or more, we've been excluding a certain segment of our society in making the decisions, that's our black and brown teachers, our black and brown administrators, which we don't have many of, black and brown people to fill in roles at KLC. We've also been excluding those students that have clearly not been thriving in our system and just we've kept going on without taking a look at that. That's enough, we need to stop here. And we're at a historic crossroads because next year we'll be hiring a new superintendent. And so the question is, what legacy is Dr. Steve Waltz going to leave? And what legacy is that person going to inherit? And I hope it's one that right now we change and it becomes a legacy of truly equity and diversity and responsibility. And not just to, you know, give lip service to those words and to those terms, but actually changing those things. We can't keep kicking the can down the road. We have to address these problems at some point. And I know there's a pandemic going on, but I bet the pandemic is just making the pre-existing disparities even worse. 
And we're hoping that Dr. Latif and the rest of the board take his own advice when he said we need to do better. That board is elected by some of us. And I say some of us because not everyone in this county is even voting for the people who make up these decisions for us. And it doesn't just end on voting. We need to show up to those school board meetings where the decisions are being made. I saw the last school board meeting and the people who were there definitely did not look like the parents whose kids are being expelled or suspended at a higher rate or the parents whose kids are dropping out at a higher rate or graduating at a lower rate. I know there are some barriers that prevent those individuals, those parents from going to those meetings, but the rest of us have the privilege to show up to those meetings and represent on behalf of the others. So people, show up and show out on those board meetings. If you look at history and you look throughout time, students are the ones, young people are the ones who make significant changes to our society, right? You have um, the, usually the drive, the energy, the access, and the passion to really, and the time to make change <laughs> and make effective change. All right, folks, this is the wrap to our educational segregation episode. I know we've discussed a lot in this episode, but there's so much to be uncovered in the upcoming episodes about our education system. So please stay tuned. And share, subscribe. Follow. Listen, listen again, follow, comment. Review, give us. <laughs> right, review, give us. Did you just snort? Dab to like a, a TikTok of us speaking. What? <laughs> Spread the word. Make your parents, mothers, sisters. I think Chris lost it. That's the end of our episode. Stay tuned for more conversations on education and... Spread the word! <laughs> Why are you yelling? <laughs> Deuces indeed. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned for an upcoming episode where we will listen to student perspectives and hear about their experiences in Prince William County schools. Remember... The views expressed on this podcast are those of the content creators and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect those of an official entity. This has been Prince William Colors. Prince William Colors is an inclusive production. If you have questions, an idea for an episode, or just want to get involved, contact princewilliamcolors at gmail.com. More episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So don't forget to subscribe.